Hi, everybody. My name's Darren, and uh, I'm one of the shepherds on staff here and excited to open God's Word with you this morning. If you're a guest with us, if you come with family or friends, you're in from the neighborhood, uh, we don't know where you've come from, but we're glad that you're here. And this morning, uh, we would love to do anything we can, number one, to make you feel welcome as a guest, but also to say to you right here at the outset, we don't want you to be a guest for long. And if we can help you become family around here, answer questions, invite you in, find you ways to plug in, meet some people, whatever, we'd love to do that. The first step in doing that probably is to talk to somebody at our connections table, which is right outside these doors. And so even at the conclusion of the service today, if you want to go introduce yourself to somebody there and kind of let them know a little bit who you are, we'll get you connected. And that's one way to do that. Now, before I dive into our teaching this morning, I mentioned last week that I was taking a trip to Kansas City and I did take a trip to Kansas City this week. Uh, I was there for a, a, a convention of traditional hand-woven rug hookers, which I don't want to get into the weeds with you on that. We can talk about it later, but... Uh, but I mentioned to some of you last week that I was going, while I was there, I was going to go to the, uh, the, the Nelson Atkins Museum, famous art museum in Kansas City, and that my hope was to have the opportunity to see uh, the, the finger of John the Baptist. Many of you know that John the Baptist, I'm kind of a John the Baptist fanboy, and, uh, and I want to, so I brought you a picture. Here it is. Okay, so this is me with my pointing finger pointing at what looks like a golden spaceship, but as you get it, let's go to the next picture. Get a little bit close. Well, yeah. So this is, it's sort of, be, they wouldn't let you get real close to it, but you get, uh, there, here's the thing in the corner with the glass and then you get a little bit closer and, uh, and there's this little, it's called a reliquary, which, you know, it's old and whatever, but really close in, there is kind of what looks like a, a Buffalo Wild Wing that somebody's finished up. But apparently, uh, apparently that, that history or tradition has said that that is the finger bone of John the Baptist. Uh, maybe you think that's gross. Maybe you think that's unlikely. Either way, I felt happy to get a picture with it because, you know, that's the way I roll. So I'm sure the other people in the museum were like, what's wrong with this guy? What's he doing? But because I like John the Baptist and because the reason I like John the Baptist is that he was always pointing away from himself to Jesus. It's kind of interesting to be near something that could potentially be the finger bone of John. I don't know, whatever. Just for, this is what it's like around here, folks. If you're a guest with us, it's, it's all uphill from this moment, right? It's all uphill. Um, so we're in the middle of a series called who we are, and we're talking about what it means to be Fullerton free, why it is that we've gathered and who we are as a church, what it means to be family around here. And we started this series a couple weeks ago. We'll finish it next week. We started a couple weeks ago by looking at John the Baptist and the model that he gives us both of dependence upon God, but of deflection that he was always pointing away from himself to Christ. And we talked in that first week about being the kind of people here at Fullerton free who were dedicated to the joy of, of other people who recognize that we're decreasing, dependent upon God and deflective, that that's who we want to be. We want to always be pointing others to Christ. That's, that's why we're here, right? That's why the church exists. The glory of God through the good of others as we point people to Christ. Now, last week, as we continued this Who We Are series, uh, we, we went a little bit deeper and we talked about the fact that pointing away from ourselves to Christ is one piece of it, but there's also a piece of what it means to be a disciple that has to do with the revelation of Christ in and through us, that the church exists so that Christ will be revealed to us. And then as Christ is revealed to us, he is revealed in us, both individually as we conform to the image of Jesus, but also corporately as Jesus puts himself on display in the body of Christ, right? So Christ is revealed to us. He's revealed in us. And then the outcome of that 
is the, is the goal that God puts a church in a city like ours in Fullerton uh, for the sake of revealing himself by us. That as he's revealed in us, he's then revealed by us. And, and that cycle repeats that as our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends and our family members and the people we come into contact with in our circle, as they begin to know us, they cannot help but come to know Jesus more. And then the cycle repeats as Christ is revealed to them. He's revealed in them. And then hopefully the goal is he's revealed by them and the cycle repeats. And that is who we are, right? That is who the church is. Now this morning I want to take a third step and I want to go even one step deeper. Sort of think of it as as a telescoping lens here. I want to go one step deeper and that is to say that if we are called to reveal Christ and have Christ revealed in us, well, the, the major characteristic of who Christ is and what Christ did is his sacrifice for us. I want us to think as we begin this morning about the idea that that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a philosopher. He wasn't just a man who cared about the sick and the poor. That he was God in a body. Fully God and fully man at the same time. That he came to the earth with intention. He came to the earth in the incarnation. He was born a baby and he grew and he lived a life in which he demonstrated for us what it looks like to live the perfect human life. In fact, the Bible in one place will tell us to be perfect, therefore, as our Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus modeled that. What, what does perfection look like? Jesus came and he lived a sinless life. He never failed to glorify God in thought, word, deed, or attitude, right? Not only that, he came with intention, not only to model what a human life could be and can be, But he also came to take the sins of the world upon himself. The prophets had foretold that, right? Isaiah had said that the sin of us all will be placed on the Messiah. Jesus comes and he takes the sin of the world upon himself. He dies on the cross by his own choice, right? He's not a martyr. He's not someone who was tricked, right? He wasn't bamboozled. He wasn't murdered. Jesus went to the cross. He himself said, nobody has the power to take my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and to take it back up again. Jesus goes to the cross offering himself as a sacrifice for us. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the dead. So not only has he paid the penalty for our sin, he then extends by his grace and only his grace that selfsame resurrection life to each and every who would believe in him, turn from their sin and turn to Christ in faith. That they can be made new. So the the heart of who Jesus is and the heart of what he demonstrated was a, a heart and a life of sacrifice that was catalyzed by his love for God and his love for others. For us as disciples, when we think about who we are as a church, we might look at a passage like John 15, 12, where Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, now just think about what I told you about who Jesus is and what he did. And then think about what he said about us. He said that we are to love one another the way he loved us. Well, how did he love us? He came by setting aside everything that was owed to him. Everything that he he absolutely was, uh, was worth, right? He sets that aside. Philippians 2 said he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be clung to. And he died for us. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So as we're thinking about what it looks like to deflect other people to Christ, and as we're thinking about what it looks like to have Christ revealed to us and in us and by us, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, how do we emulate or how do we put on the sacrificial love of Jesus? The reason we have to ask that question is because none of us in the room need to die for the sins of our neighbors, right? So we think about living like Christ or loving like Christ, as he says in John 15, as we think about obeying this commandment, 
It isn't that we need to lay down our lives so that other people can be redeemed. It isn't that we have to lay down our lives so that they can be reconciled to God. That work has already been done. And even if it hadn't been done, you and I are not capable of reconciling other people to God, right? So when we think about emulating the sacrificial love of Christ, it doesn't mean that you die on a cross like Jesus did for the sins of the world. That's already been done. It's a, it's a one-time-for-all thing, right? And he was the only one who could do it. So if it isn't that, well, what is it? Well, some of you may then go to the next possibility, which is that we're all supposed to die for our faith. And there are people throughout history who've been martyred because of their faith in Christ. There are people on the planet today who will die because they will not renounce the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So one way in which you might think about revealing Christ in his loving uh, sacrifice would be to die for what you believe. But the likelihood is that for you and I who are living in North Orange County or Los Angeles or wherever you're from, the likelihood is that most of us will probably never be in a circumstance where someone will put a gun to our head and tell us, hey, deny Christ or you're going to die. You may. That may be what God has for you in the future, but most of us are not going to encounter a life-threatening opportunity to be martyred for our faith. I think most of us would probably pass that test if we were put in that circumstance, but day in and day out, that just isn't going to be the likely requirement. So what does it look like if it isn't dying on the cross for the sins of the world, if it isn't dying a martyr's death with a gun pointed to my head and, and being told I have to renounce my faith or die, then what does it look like to put Jesus on display in the context of his love and sacrifice. That's the question we want to have today. We demonstrate his sacrificial character through our love. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Love at its pinnacle, according to Jesus, is made manifest... In sacrifice. It's interesting throughout the Bible, most of the time when love is referred to, and you can do a study on this on your own, most of the time when love is referred to in the Bible, it's not really thought of as an emotion. It's not thought of as an affectionate feeling. When it tells us that we're supposed to be loving or that we're supposed to love our neighbors, it doesn't really mean you should just think of them fondly or that you should be attracted to them or that you should be, you know, just, just think of them in a kind way. It's not usually about the posture of the heart. It's about the function of the body. In almost every case, when the Bible refers to love, it's talking about action. It's talking about sacrifice. Love in scripture is almost always sacrifice rather than emotions or feelings. It's why in Philippians 2, verse 3, which I sort of quickly referenced before, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now in the passage in 1 John that we're looking at this morning, it's talking specifically about the way we lay down our lives for the brothers, and that's not a gender-specific term. That means for, for family. It means for the church family, for the body of Christ. How do we lay our lives down for one another? But when you look at Philippians chapter 2, that isn't just talking about the way we treat Christians, right? It's talking about the way we treat the world. That we should treat the world the way Jesus treated the world, which was to say that he set aside his throne room... And he came to the earth to die for people who didn't deserve it, who hadn't asked for it, who wouldn't appreciate it. He came to the earth to die on behalf of people who, for the most part, would spend the next 2,000 years using his name as a curse. Right? 
He invites us to have that kind of mind that would lay down our lives for people who don't deserve it, who won't appreciate it, right? Who, who, who will spit in the face of the sacrifice. And he doesn't just call us to lay down our life for the brothers, even though that's what we find in 1 John. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, Right? It's telling us that we're supposed to have the heart and mind of God, that we reveal God when we love people who don't appreciate it, who don't deserve it, who haven't earned it, who won't pay us for it or thank us for it. And it isn't just for those inside the family of God. It's for those who hate us, Jesus says. It's interesting that in Luke, right, there's the story of the, uh, of the lawyer who comes to Jesus and he says, uh, teacher, this is in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, a lawyer stood up to Jesus and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and strength and with all, uh, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. There it is, right? Simple as that. And then look at what the lawyer says in verse 29. He, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I like that question. I don't know if you like that. I mean, that, that question kind of rubs a little bit, right? It's kinda, it feels rough, but it is a question we ask all the time, right? Who exactly do I have to be nice to? Who exactly do I have to sacrifice for? Like, hey, where, what are the limits to that, right? Because I got some neighbors that I don't mind mowing their grass or I don't mind washing their dishes or whatever, but I don't want to do it for the guy on the corner. And I'm not talking about my neighborhood because my neighbor could be here, sorry. But I, I'm saying figuratively, we want to limit it, right? We want some limitations from God. We want God to tell us, hey, uh, you have to be nice to people who think like you or who worship like you or believe like you. We want you to be nice to people who have the same skin color as you or maybe who are in the same economic demographic as you. And God refuses to do that. What the lawyer is doing in Luke chapter 10 is saying, can you give me some specifics so I can narrow down who I have to sacrifice for? And Jesus says, no. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which is famous. And the heart of the story of the Good Samaritan is that even those that you despise are nicer than you most of the time, right? Jesus says we are called to put his love and sacrifice on display by having his same heart and his same mind. And when we talk about loving other people, he's not just talking about having warm feelings for other people. It's, it's not a general sense in which we would look and say, well, I just, I just love humans, Right? It's supposed to be put on display. And for many of us, I think when it comes to like a a theological position, we agree that we're called to live lives of sacrifice, lives that put love on display through laying down our own lives. But functionally, we get it wrong when we're really in the the thick of it. I've told the story before, but when I was living at Hume Lake... Uh, early on, actually it was the first summer I worked at Hume Lake in 1997. I was sitting up late. It was like 11 o'clock. I'm sitting with my wife and there was another couple. We're sitting around a fire and one of the maintenance guys comes in and he says, Hey, you guys want to see a bear? And I, I grew up in Arizona. I had never seen a bear in the wild. And I was like, yeah, I would like to see a bear. So he goes, come on, there's one out here on the deck. So we go out on this long deck and uh, at the far end of the deck, there's this bear and he's turned over one of the trash cans and he's digging through the trash. And it was really cool from a distance. It was really cool to see the bear. You know, I didn't want to get real close, but the maintenance guy goes, Hey, we got to, we got to get rid of this bear because we got a thousand kids in camp and it would be really dangerous. If one of the kids came down to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, we can't have this bear here. So we got to get rid of it. And I was like, we got to get rid of it. Like, how are we going to get rid of it? It's a bear. It's the woods. Like he, this is where he belongs. If anything, he's got to get rid of us, you know? 
And uh, Bill says, well, we just got to make a lot of noise. And uh, so we're standing like at the end of this long deck and we basically just go, hey, bear, you got to go. Come on. It's middle of the night. You got to get out of here. No more trash eating. And uh, he, he doesn't even look up like he just keeps eating the trash. Right. He doesn't pay any attention to us. So my wife and I and our, our friends, uh, the four of us and this maintenance guy, we walk a little bit closer. And the maintenance guy says, we've got to puff ourselves up and make ourselves seem a little bit bigger. And so we kind of flare, flare out our jackets and we go, hey, bear, you got to. You got to get out of here. You can't hang around here. We got campers around here. You got to go. Come on, let's move it. And the bear, this time the bear looked up at us and then he went back to eating the trash. And so we get a little bit closer and now we're like, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how far, maybe like from here to the first row there, which if you're watching online, hi, everybody who's watching online, you, this won't help you, but you know, we're not very far. Maybe, maybe uh, it felt like five feet, but I bet it was 25, right? So we're close to this bear. And uh, now we're making lots of noise. And so we go, bear! You know, we stood up on our tiptoes and we're like, bear, you got to get out of here. You can't stay here. You got to go. You can't stick around here because there's kids. And we're making all this racket. And the bear looks up at us and then he goes back on two legs. And he goes, and I'm telling you, I could feel his breath. You know, it was like one of those cartoons. And he roars at us and boom, like a shot. I turned around and I sprinted down that deck and I ran into the lodge and I shut the door and I locked it. And, uh, And as soon as I locked it, then I kind of looked up through the glass in the window there and I saw my wife on the other side, uh, who I had, I had raced past in my fear. And, uh, she's now out there with the bear to be honest with you. Uh, when I was running from the bear, I didn't even remember I was married. So that's not great. Uh, but I sort of sheepishly unlocked the the door and I'm like, Oh, would you like to come into safety? Sorry. Right. I think we all talk a big game. I mean, it hadn't been too long prior to that that I'd stood before the altar with this new bride and said, I'm with you in sickness and in health, right? In love and, you know, all I'm, I'm with you. I'll, I'll be with you forever. And I meant all that theoretically, but when that bear roared, man, I was out of there, right? I think functionally that happens for a lot of us in our lives. Where when we're in this room and I say, Jesus has called us to lay down our lives, not just for the brothers and sisters in this room, not just for those who believe like us and look like us and think like us, but he's called us to lay down our lives for our enemies. He's called us to lay down our life for people who won't appreciate it and don't deserve it and might spit in our faces because that's what he did. I say that and I think sort of collectively around the room, we all go, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. Yes, we, yes, we are called to that. And we walk out of this place and we don't live like Jesus. We live like the rest of the world. We live like the rest of the world. It's been said that self-preservation is the first law of the physical life. Self-preservation is the first law of the physical life. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the Bible tells us that self-sacrifice is the first law of the spiritual life. Self-sacrifice is the first law of the spiritual life. So what 1 John will show us is that if you want to understand that you were spiritually alive, you don't look at your self-preservation, you look at your self-sacrifice. That is the indicator, right? Love and sacrifice, love and sacrifice are the concrete shape of faith in this world. You want to know what faith looks like in 2022 in America? Look for love and sacrifice. That's how it's put on display. First John chapter three, verses, uh, let's read 11 through 15. It says, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another, right? From the very beginning, love was the call. 
We shouldn't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous, right? Wasn't that long ago we were studying Genesis chapter 4. And what we saw in that time is that both Cain and Abel were bringing worship to God. And one, one brother's worship was treated with regard by God and one brother's worship was treated with disregard. And there was an, a teachable moment for Cain, to be, uh, for Cain to be taught and instructed about the improper nature of his sacrifice, whether that had to do with the physical nature of what he had offered or what was happening in the posture of his heart. I don't want to re-preach that sermon. But rather than listening to God and changing his posture, he focused his ire and his anger on his brother who had been properly regarded and he killed him rather than deal with, with his, own, his own envy and his own jealousy. Here it says, look, you, we've been told from the beginning that we're supposed to love one another. We don't want to be like Cain, right? Who in, even in the midst of their worship, he found a reason to murder someone else. And I doubt that there are many of you in the room this morning who are plotting physical murder. If there are, I'd love for you to come and talk to me after the service because I would love to report you to the police. But the reality is that this kind of thing, the thing that happens with Cain and Abel, happens in smaller ways in the community of Christians all the time. Where we look at one another and rather than grow ourselves or be more conformed to the image of Christ ourselves, we try and tear people apart. John in this text says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Look, this is what he says. He says, don't be surprised, verse 13, don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. And by the way, that isn't John saying, hey, par for the course as a Christian is everybody who isn't a Christian is going to hate you. That's not true. In fact, there are other places in the Bible that say we should be living such good lives among the pagans that they see our good deeds and they glorify our Father. So many people will use a text like this and they'll go, it doesn't matter what the world thinks about me. In fact, if I'm living for Jesus, I'm going to be hated universally. Well, that isn't the way the early church is described in Acts 2, right? The early church is described as building favor with the world, right? So we don't want to discount the fact that there will be some people who will be hateful towards believers, Right? But that isn't universal, and it shouldn't be everybody, for sure, because we're meant to be ambassadors of Christ. So he says, yeah, there, there will be hatred that comes from the outside. That isn't meant to, to infer that there will always be constant and unceasing universal hatred. It's meant to say there will be some hatred that comes from the outside, but there should not be any hatred on the inside. In here? No, right? Jealousy, envy, rage, murder, gossip, division? In here? No. Out there? Sometimes, right? In here, never. He says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, right? We are called to love one another. We are called to, to reflect this love into the world that it talks about in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What that verse is saying is that when we love one another, instead of being jealous and envious and greedy and dividing and full of hatred and gossip, when we love one another in a sacrificial way, not only do we see Jesus manifested in us individually, Christ revealed in us because we're living like him now, 
But when we love, what that says is we're abiding in the love of Christ and God is made manifest in our body. It's the same thing we talked about last week. That love is the way that God has put on display in us. And I know these verses feel redundant, right? You might be saying, wow, we, we've just read like five different verses that say the same thing. Guess what? There's more than five. I have more verses than I could possibly use this morning because the Bible says it again and again and again. If you're a follower of Jesus, lay down your life and love other people. I, I don't know how to make it more plain. The Bible has said this is what it looks like to be us. Who are we? We are a people who are marked by love. But the mark of love is not just avoiding evil towards others, right? So here, here's the thing that happens too sometimes is we go, I get it. I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I'm supposed to love people who disagree with me. I'm supposed to love people who don't appreciate it. And I'm supposed to be like Jesus and love those people. And I do. And then I say, well, you know, how, how do you love them? Well, I just don't do anything mean to them. That's not what it's talking about either, right? Jesus doesn't love us by remaining absent and just leaving us to our own devices, right? When I say, and when the Bible says that we're supposed to love other people, remember that most of the time when the Bible talks about love, it's not talking about warm, fuzzy feelings or affection towards a group of people. It's talking about service. So it isn't enough to say, no, 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 I am loving. I am putting the love of Christ on display because I don't physically hate anyone that I can think of right now, right? No, 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 that's not a, it's not enough to just have the absence of evil towards others. There is supposed to be the creation of good. It's about doing and believing the best for our fellow man. Back to 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 16. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He's saying it's not just about acknowledging that people are lovable. It's not just saying I don't have anybody that I can think of right now that I hate. It's about being on the lookout for people who have needs and then meeting those needs. That's what the love of Jesus looks like. He recognizes that we are lost and dead in our sin, separated from God because of our wickedness. And he doesn't leave us in that state, but he enters into creation. God dwells with us to rescue and redeem us. That's what the love of Christ looks like. So if you're patting yourself on the back on a regular basis and saying, well, I'm a a good follower of Jesus because I can't think of anybody that I dislike that strongly, that isn't the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is actively looking for people to serve and to give to, right? Any of you that are in a family, and all of us are in a family, this is the only way families work. Families are a constant give and a take, right? It's a constant back and forth. My... uh, my kids, uh, when they were little, my kids always wanted cats, right? And I can never have cats because I'm allergic. So uh, my kids were having a conversation with my wife one time and they were, they were like in second and third grade, Jack and Hank. And they said, mom, can we, can we please get a kitty? And she goes, no, we can't because dad, uh, dad is allergic. He'd get really sick if he was around a cat. And they said, but we really want one. And, and she's like, well, I, I get that, but you can't have one. And they said, well, when we're older and we move and we have our own house, we're going to get a cat then. We're going to get cats, you know. And my wife says, well, you can. You can get cats when you're older. That's fine. It'll be your house and your choice. But just know that if you get a cat when you're older, uh, that, that, uh, that daddy won't be able to come and visit you. You know, he won't be able to come to your house. And without even missing a beat, they looked at her and they're like, but you'll still be able to come visit, right, mom? <laughs> right? They were doing the math, right? Like, we're, we're willing to make a little bit of a sacrifice. We don't want to give up mom, right? We don't want to give up mom. 
Living in community is always, it only works through sacrifice. It's why it's in our mission statement that we are a loving community united in sacrifice. And that only works as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it only happens for the sake of the glory of God. We, we can't exist like this. What was so beautiful? And I talked about this last week too. But what was so beautiful about the New Testament church? What was so rare and peculiar? It's that you had masters and servants. You had men and women. You had Greeks and, and uh, Jews. You, you had slaves and free. You had all of these people. And they were worshiping alongside each other in equality. And that only happens because of love and sacrifice put on display. And it's weird to see. And you know what? It's still weird to see in our world today. True love and true sacrifice, it looks weird. When you see it on the news, your, your eyes fill up with tears. You know why they fill up with tears? Because you don't see it often enough. When someone truly loves you and lays down their life for you, you know how you feel when that happens? You know why you feel the way you feel? Because it's rare. It's not common. God is calling us to something uncommon. That we would lay down our lives for other people. He says, if you, uh, he says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart. That could be translated, shuts his guts. I like that rhyme, right? A little bit of poetry. If anyone sees that there's a need and shuts his guts against them. Guess what? The love of the Father is not in you. The love of the Father is not in you. If you're not loving in deed and in action. The early church put this on display beautifully. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were one, of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Acts chapter 2 verse 44, talking about the same early group of believers, says all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, right? What, what did it look like? Well, these are people who were trying to go, well, we don't have to die for the sins of the world and we're not necessarily going to be martyred for our faith, but how do we put the loving sacrifice of Jesus on display all the time? It's by not clinging to what we think we deserve. It's by not clinging to what we think we have earned or we're owed. It's about laying all of that down in a way to model the incarnation, the death and resurrection of Jesus. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and I haven't gotten this tattooed, but I might, uh, 1 Corinthians 9.19, says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I think we've put it up here in the ESV, but I memorized it in King James or NIV. I memorized it a long, long time ago, and I, I quote it to myself all the time. I'm free. I'm an American. There are people who died to establish my freedom. I'm, I'm proud of my freedom. And though I am free and nobody owns me, I choose enslavement as a way to reach the world. For the glory of God and the good of others. I choose it. I choose it. That's who, who are we? Who are we? We're people that point away from ourselves. We're people in whom Christ is being revealed. He's being revealed to us and then in us and by us. And the primary way in which he's being revealed by us is in our loving sacrifice, that we are making a choice, not just every year or every month, not just every time I get up here and quote these verses, but moment by moment, we're making a choice to choose slavery for the good of other people. I think most of us would gladly die for Jesus at the hands of an enemy, right? I think if somebody put a gun to your head and said, hey, deny Christ or, gonna, or you're going to die right now, I think, I think most of us would probably pass that test. 
And even though I think we would have the like fortitude and the wherewithal to withstand that test and to die a martyr's death, it's interesting to me how many people I know that I'm fairly confident would, would die for their faith who won't live a sacrificial life every day. Nobody's putting a gun to your head. They're just asking you to be nice. They're just asking you to lay down your preferences. They're just asking you to set aside your desire to sit on the couch and instead wash the dishes or mow the grass or whatever. They're just looking for some decency and kindness. And most of us, I think if somebody put a gun to our head, we would die for our faith. But we won't just live for our faith in little ways all the time. We won't just live a little life of sacrifice in the ins and outs. But that is who we are. That is what we are called to. This is living for him and living like him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Similarly, Luke chapter 14 verse 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Here's something I want you to understand this morning. When we talk about living a life of loving sacrifice, we aren't talking about an optional part of the discipleship buffet that you could take or leave. So that might mean you don't want to be a part of this church. And and we don't really want to lose any more people, to be honest with you. But to be fair, if you're not interested in getting up every day and waging war to lay down your life for the glory of God and the good of others, that's a non-negotiable for disciples. We, We can't work our way around it. We can't leave this out. This is a part of it. Laying down our lives for other people is a part of what he's called us to. And I'm hoping that those of you who call this place home and those of you who will call this place home in the days ahead will recognize that this is par for the course. We are called to be servants, modeling the life of Christ. So here's the final thing I want to talk about this morning. What happens to our needs? Because the, the argument in all of this, or what may be playing in the back of your head is, if I lay down my life for the good of other people, like what happens to me? Like, I'm a human being. I got needs. I got grass that needs to be mowed. I got, I got dishes that need to be washed. Like, well, first of all, in community, if we're all laying down our lives, guess what? You don't have to mow your own grass because I'm mowing your grass for you. I'm sure I'll get a lot of calls on that this week, right? But in community, if we're in fellowship with one another and we're all living a sacrificial life, then guess what? I don't have to do this all by myself. And my needs get taken care of, not by me, but by you, by us working in, in harmony and collaboration. When we talk about giving, we're going to have an offering moment in a minute. I talked about giving a couple weeks ago. And one of the things I said with giving is the giving, when it comes to financial offering, that's not meant to be carried by a few people who are very wealthy, right? That's meant to be carried by all of us who are followers of Jesus. And even if that's $1 or $5 or $10, the key here is unity and sacrifice that all of us are sacrificing, even though we may not be able to sacrifice the same thing. Certainly we're all in different financial positions. So some people who have a, a, a wealth They have the ability to sacrifice more than a college student who's just getting started and trying to figure out how he's going to get ramen this week. But if you're a college student who's trying to figure out how to get ramen this week, that does not, uh, it does not remove the responsibility to live a life of sacrifice and following Christ. So for you, it might be 50 cents, but all are called to sacrifice. We're sacrificing together. So part of this, part of the question is, well, what happens to me and my needs? Well, we take care of it together, but look at what it says back to first John. In 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 19. It says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. In those moments where you're worried about who you are and what you believe, we trust God's greater knowledge. 
21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom God has given. I love these last, these last verses because they speak to both the, the mental or, or the psychological, that in those moments where you're wondering, am I a follower of Jesus? Am I not a follower of Jesus? Have I, have I prayed the prayer or whatever, those things that go through your mind? Am I truly a believer? What it says in that those moments of wandering, that if we're living a life like Jesus, that God himself will testify to our spirit of the truth of our salvation, right? And it it happens through living a life like Christ. So it it deals with the mental and psychological. It also deals with the spiritual. He says he, he is blessing us by giving us his spirit. We're dependent upon his spirit. We talked about that two weeks ago. But it also says in the middle there that if we're living a life that puts Jesus on display, that it becomes God's responsibility to take care of the things we need. And that's talking about the physical and what I'm not preaching here this morning is, hey, if you, if you, you know, give money, then God will give you the speedboat or he'll give you the cabin in the mountains or whatever. We don't believe the Bible teaches that. In fact, he's calling us to lay down our lives, to take up our crosses. But what it does say very clearly in this text and others is that when you're following Christ, he will take care of your needs. Now, your definition of needs may be different than his definition of needs. And certainly as American, our definition of needs is very different than the needs that people in third world countries would recognize as needs. Your needs may be vastly different than what you've thought them to be. But what it says there is that God will take care of what you need psychologically and mentally. He'll take care of what you need spiritually and he'll take care of what you need physically. And it comes from this mindset of loving others and laying down our lives like Christ laid down his life for us. God's knowledge of us outweighs our self-doubt. In alignment with his will, he will provide all we need. And God's spirit will guide us. The last thing I want you to see, John 13, is not only is our life changed by living this life of love and sacrifice, but it, it changes the way the world sees us. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. This is Jesus speaking in verse 35. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you're a disciple. I think a lot of times we think, well, the way I'm going to let people know I'm his disciple is I'm going to tell them, right? Or I'm going to carry my Bible or I'll wear a WWJD bracelet or I'll wear a Christian-themed T-shirt or a bumper sticker on the back. Like, I want people to know I'm a disciple and so I'm going to put all these bumper stickers out. Bumper stickers of various forms. Jesus' pattern had nothing to do with advertising. Jesus' method to reveal the truth of who is his follower is through love. How does the world know that you're a follower of Jesus? By your love. Why? Because this kind of love, sacrificial love, is so peculiar. It's so uncommon that it raises a flag above your head. You live like this. You lay down your life for other people, for those who hate you, those who don't deserve it, those who won't thank you for it. You lay down your life for other people. And, and, and it will be like a bumper sticker without a bumper sticker. It's actually more beautiful than a bumper sticker. I'm not, I'm not condemning bumper stickers, but you, think, you hear what I'm saying. We lay down our lives. As we're talking in these weeks about what it means to be Fullerton free, who we are, we're people of dependence and deflection, we're people to whom Christ is being revealed, in whom Christ is being revealed, and by whom Christ is being revealed, and the most prominent way in which that happens is through our loving sacrifice, the laying down of our lives in the pattern of our master. I think many times what we end up with uh, are people who, who call themselves followers of Jesus, but they're actually fans of Jesus. 
You know the difference? Like, like I think there may even be some of you here today who when it comes right down to it, you think Jesus is awesome. You think he taught great things. He did great things. He had a great method for life. He seems like a great teacher and philosopher. And you are a big Jesus fan. But you're not his follower. And my invitation this morning is to say that what Jesus was aiming at and what his disciples were aiming at and what we're aiming at here at Fullerton Free Church is not to build more Jesus fans. But what we're doing is trying to gather a group of Jesus followers. And what that means is we have to live like he lived. We have to live like he lived. And that means we have to be united in sacrifice and love. And it, and it, it isn't the kind of thing you can pick or take. It is par for the course in this place. This is how we do it because this is how it was given to us. We're going to move into a time of response this morning. The band's going to come back up. And as we move into response, I want to include our time of financial giving. And that might feel kind of strange to you. Again, I said a couple weeks ago, we always tiptoe around money because we want it to be very clear that God doesn't need our money. This is not a church that cares about money, right? I'm not a pastor who's looking for a jet. I drive a Honda Civic, right? And I'll always drive a Honda Civic. But we do want to be people who are united in sacrifice. And I think there may be some of you in the room who are family. You've been family for months or maybe even years, but you have not been contributing. And I just want to invite you to participate. This is a, it's a gift, right? It's a great opportunity to just be a part. And it doesn't matter what that looks like, but I want you to prayerfully seek God and see if God isn't saying to you, yeah, you're family around here. You're, you're my follower. Be a part. There may be others of you in this place who've been participating, sacrificing financially for a long time, and God may be asking you to sort of reevaluate some of that. I I invite you to pray those prayers as well. There may be some of you here who've who've been participating financially, but not physically. So you're not involved anywhere. You haven't been getting to know anybody. You kind of come and watch and leave for you. Maybe this feels mostly like an entertainment. Maybe what God is calling you to to this morning is the sacrifice of presence that you got to get deeper in. We don't want to, we don't want to just be in entertainment. We want to be locking arms. We want to be family. So maybe that's what God's calling you today. Or maybe God is doing something completely different in your heart. I love the, the power of his word and his spirit working together that sometimes he moves us in a way that has nothing to do with what the pastor preached. So I'm totally great with the fact that God might be stirring in you something that has nothing to do with what I've just said. But our elders and some of our staff are going to come and they're going to gather here in the front And we just want to be available to pray with you. There's nothing mystical or magical about this, by the way. And and it's not just the people who have big, heinous, awful things happening in their lives that are welcome to come and receive prayer. You might have nothing terrible happening in your life and you just want to pray with another person who loves Jesus. Come and receive prayer, right? Come. That's what we're doing up here. The prayer room is open to to my left and your right. You're welcome to take advantage of that. If if you feel like maybe privacy is something you'd like a little bit, there's a little more privacy there. If you want to give financially, you can do that with boxes that are in the lobby. You can do that on the app. You can do it at the website, whatever. That, that, that can happen a variety of ways. But don't just listen to a teaching and sit unresponsive, right? Be moved by the Spirit of God to respond. Maybe that's to stand to your feet and sing at the top of your lungs. Maybe that's put your hand in the air. Maybe that's kneel down. Maybe that's lay down. Maybe that's dance. I don't care what it looks like. Let's respond in an honest way to the truth of how Jesus laid down his life for us and he gives us the privilege of laying down our lives like him in 2022 at the corner of Bass and Cherry and Brea and in the cities in which we live. Let's respond to who Jesus is this morning together.